You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 177, covering life support and heart of stone. Hi, friends. We are back. I was I was waiting to see if you were back because you, you didn't say anything. No, I was. There you go. I'm going to see where he goes with this. That's it. Hi, friends. I, that's uh, that's what I say every time. I say hi, yep. friends, at the beginning. You say see you, folks, at the end. That's, that's, that's how this goes. And we got a good show going on. That's exactly right. Everything that happens in the middle is a mystery. Yep. I, I'm just pleased to note my, my very first note on the first episode is, oh, thank Christ, this isn't uh, Past Tense Part 3. <laughs> Turn on, and the first thing I said was previously on Deep no! Space Nine. No, make it stop. Then thankfully it wasn't. Why I, won't you die? I will say I mentioned this last time that uh, our, our pal Flonk, regular guest uh, Flonk, chimed in and said that that we were wrong. That was a good episode. Uh, another friend, uh, another uh, frequent guest on the show, Adrian, also mm-hmm. said that we were completely wrong. So yep. there, there is a contingent that likes that episode, but we are not in that contingent. No. Sorry to say. Well, they, they can uh, they can make their own show. There, there were also a couple of people who told me that uh, they completely agreed. In fact, one person in particular, uh, who who I'm not uh, terribly acquainted with, but I talk to occasionally on Twitter, said, uh, "You said the show gets good soon, right? Because because uh, <laughs> I'm about to give up. There better be some Garrick soon." And uh, well, friend, Garrick's coming in in like huge numbers very soon. There's a, there's an awesome Garrick story coming. So, yeah, uh, just we hold didn't... out a little longer. Yeah, we didn't get him this week, but we did get two pretty good episodes. These are I, I, I actually talked to you on Twitter briefly earlier where I was like 10 minutes into the first yep. one. I was like, oh, God, I see where this is going. This is going to be terrible, and I was wrong. So. No, I understand where you were coming from, that this episode starts off with a lot of not even techno babble, medical techno babble. Uh, that, that didn't bother me so much, really. It was because it wasn't that sort of techno babble bothers me when they use it to justify bullshit in the story. Mm-hmm. Or fill space. Or, or fill space, right. Like 40% of uh, past tense. But like in past tense, they were trying to say, well, usually it doesn't work like this. But in this case, because of mm-hmm. this and this and this, and this, yeah, I don't care. But in this case, it was it was a pretty straightforward situation. So Yes. Uh, yeah. Why don't you tell us about that straightforward situation? I will. The episode is called Life Support, and this is more or less what happens in it. Jake, clearly over the loss of his hot Bajoran girlfriend, asks a new hot girl out on a date. The pair are interrupted as Chief O'Brien and Odo race to respond to an emergency at one of the airlocks. Apparently a Bajoran ship, containing among others Kai Wynn and Vedic Barail, experienced some kind of horrible space accident and now someone is critically injured. To Matt's utter disappointment that someone is not Kai Wynn, it's mm-hmm. Barail. Quick! Nobody yells because it's a terrible joke. Somebody get a medic for this Vedic! <laughs> that joke did not deserve that, Matt. That, that deserved shame and silence. That's the third time that's landed for me. <laughs> Dr. Bashir does everything he can to save the poor bland dope's life while Kai <laughs> Wynn pulls Cisco aside to tell him that, oh, by the way, we were conducting secret talks to sign a formal peace treaty with the Cardassians, no big deal. And also Vedic Barail is the key to that treaty actually happening. Cut to Bashir losing the patient. Insert sad trombone music here. But wait! <laughs> for some techno babbly reason, they find a way to keep him alive. Sort of! Now Barile is in incredible pain, has to have all his organs replaced with balloon animal organs, and will also die anyway. Kaiwin is pleased because she needs Barile to make the peace talks happen, and there's a lot more at stake here than one man's life, namely one woman's career. 
Burial's condition continues to worsen, with Bashir having to reinflate his balloon animal organs every three hours, and now having to replace half his brain with positronic relays. You know, like Data. So Burial is essentially a Borg now, but since this serves Kaiwin's political purposes, she's totally fine with this. Bashir, however, is not, and tries to convince Wynn to convince Burial that becoming a part Borg, part balloon, part Kira's boyfriend Frankenstein is maybe not in the best interests of the patient. Nonsense, says Wynn, and she also does that thing where you tell someone it's really Frankenstein's monster because Frankenstein was the doctor. Smug bitch. Anyway, the peace talks are successful, so Wynn suddenly has a change of heart and decides that Burial should be put out of his misery after all. Meanwhile, in a highly incompatible subplot, Nog is a sexist jerk that Jake can't take anywhere. <laughs> ah, good times all around. This was... this Wow. This was a shockingly good episode. When Burial died and I realized there were there was still 30 minutes left and then Bashir looked at the display and said, "Wait a minute." I was like, "Oh shit. What was he possessed by?" Yeah, this is when I got the uh, this is when I got the tweet from Al's going, "Oh man, we're off to a bad start here." Yeah, and I was entirely wrong. This was yep. actually this this episode actually made me turn around on Vedic Burial before they completely yanked him away. Yep. Like, well, wow. that's a- well, that's how you kill someone off on Deep Space Nine, right? Yeah, you, get... you make him really like the guy and then kill him. But I mean, he's been around. This is like his tenth appearance. Oh yeah, and it's the first time I didn't think he was a creep or a boring guy or a boring creep. I mean, admittedly, he spent a lot of this episode in a coma, but still. <laughs> but the whole thing is his devotion to this cause and the fact that he's the only one with the, the diplomatic skills to get this really important thing done. Like, oh yeah, the... I, I respected his job. And I respected his, you know, total, like, devotion to it. Oh, yeah, the fact that he's basically willing to throw his life away yeah. to make sure that this goes off the way it's supposed to, it's really impressive. And willing to endure incredible amounts of pain mm-hmm. just to just to see this thing through is like, and wow, okay, this guy's ba- actually kind of a hero. And basically have his personality destroyed, which fucking terrifying. Yeah, the, the three quarters of the way through the episode, when they, when like I said in my summary, they replace half his brain with positronic, you know, data brain. Yeah, like he's he's like, well, I feel your touch, but it's more like the memory of a touch, and it's like, oh Jesus, that's horrible. And then uh, after that sad moment, Wind shoves Kira out of the way and waves some notes under his nose. Yeah. So anyway, about what the about mining this? rights. Yes, yes, yes. Look, we don't have time for your sad uh, reunion right now. Look, just because you're the only person in his life that he's truly in love with, this is more important. I'm sorry. Did you not know that I have important things to do? Listen, child. I'm trying to be back on Bajor by this evening, okay? I need to watch the Bajoran version of Murder, She Wrote. (laughs) Starring Fletcher Jessica. (laughs) Louise Fletcher Jessica? Wait, uh, what? Wait, what's her name? I thought it was Jessica Fletcher, wasn't it? No, I mean the what's her face that plays. Oh uh, wow, that was a is... that, that was a build yeah. on it joke that I completely missed. <laughs> uh, Want to take that again? No, no, they get to hear it all. They get to hear clever editing can make you look clever. Nope, that's that's what sarcastic voyage is for. Ah, good. Here we just we just say whatever crap comes into our heads. I was really pleased with that, and then you didn't catch it, and then I got worried that I'd fucked it up, <laughs> which is basically the story of my life. Yeah, pretty much. I thought I did something good, but then I was worried that it was something wrong. Uh, so what was your good thing? Uh, what was my good th- I was really impressed with this episode, Killing Off Mariah. Like, it's like we were talking about, I never really cared for the character at all. No, at neither his, of us did. At his best, he was boring. At his at his worst, he was a weird creep who put his arm on Dax, which is... Bleh. Well, in fairness, everyone in that episode was acting stupid. 
that's that true, but fault. like it, it wasn't his fault, but it didn't help his case any. No, but his his general and this was casting, mm-hmm. not writing. This was the actor just had that sort of creepy way about him. Well, Maurice, I yeah. hope that you can stay with us on Park Planet for some time. Yep. Ugh. But, like, they deliver in this episode. First of all, the fact that they basically bring the accident out of nowhere. Well, like, before it, we like even I said know in the... my summary, we open with that scene with Jake for maybe a minute. Yeah. And it's... then Odo and O'Brien go racing by, and they, there's this great sort of transition from one story to the other, which I love. Mm-hmm. Like, where something actively happens, and, and you sort of follow the other guys instead, and that was a neat thing to do. But, yeah, mm-hmm. you're you're right. It was, it was one of those suddenly, oh, shit. Like, I like the idea that sometimes there's just accidents, you know? Yeah, I mean, space, you know, space is full of darkness and danger wrapped in, you know, silence, and one day I'm going to get this damn quote right. Yeah. But, I mean, like, we, we were talking about this. There's a scene early in the episode where uh, Wynn is talking to Cisco about how she thinks that there might have been sabotage or something. Right. I like the idea that there, I mean, as far as I know, I guess this might come up later, but as far as I can remember, like, there's no, there's no sort of payoff to this. I hope there isn't, because honestly, yeah. you know, space mm-hmm. space is scary, and sometimes you get a tiny fracture. I mean, O'Brien said it was a tiny fracture in their hull yeah. that just, they if they didn't get their ship checked out regularly, it was going to hurt something, and that, yeah. just, that shit happens sometimes. So, like, this stupid accident basically ends this guy's life. Yeah. This very important, prominent religious figure who, mm. you know, could have been Kai. Just, yeah. and now he's gone. Yep. Uh, you know, now he's back again. But, you know, now yeah, he's gone. Then, then he's gone. Now you see him, now you don't. I'm here, I'm queer, I'm in a chair. <laughs> Sorry, I've been rewatching Arrested Development again. Um, first, no, okay, first was, of all, it was a bed with was, an arm, yeah. <laughs> It was great, though. It was great, like, getting us to, to care about him and then and then just killing him. And then, like, it's such a good deterior- deterioration over the course of the episode. Yep. Because, like, we've got, we keep having, we keep having Wynn do this ter- these horrible things where she's like, yeah, he wants, you know, this is what he wants. And the problem is, it is what he wants. Yep, but he wants it because she wants it. Well, Yes. I mean, and and that's actually sort of feeds into my good thing. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a scene between uh, Bashir and and Win where Bashir basically says, "You you got to let go. You got to tell mm-hmm. him you don't want this because if he thinks that, then he'll let me put him back in stasis until we figure out how to save him." Mm-hmm. And she's like, "Well, no, because my needs." Yeah. But my actual good thing. Okay, it's weird to me that sitting El Fadil called past tense a defining Bashir episode because yeah. This one is really where his character starts to shine for me. He's he's amazing. In this this is a this is a this is the first great Bashir episode. There've been mm. a couple of good ones, or at least where he's a good part of the ensemble. But this is clearly about him, mm. and it's so good. And putting him in a situation where he has to make the hard ethical choices that oppose the greater good of whatever the mission is—that's a standard Star Trek thing. All the Doctors have had to do that. Like Bones and Bever have both had to, like, say. Well, I understand what you need for the mission, but medically, no, you can't. Yeah. Like, I have to stand my ground here as chief medical officer. This is not possible. And Bashir brings this sort of confidence to the situation. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's this whole cockiness thing, but it's it's in a way that it's sort of useful and, and interesting and cool. Like, I know what's best for my patient, and I don't care if you're Pope of an entire planet. I'm. <clears throat> this is, the, you know, shut up, lady. Like, he, he just, in her face, says... I don't care what you think. This is horrible for him. Yeah. What are you doing? And even Cisco, when he has to deal with Wynn, is diplomatic about it. Mm-hmm. Bashir 
doesn't give a fuck because all he cares about is saving Barile, and that's yeah. just it's it's great. He's a good doctor. Yeah, it's good character stuff. And and toward the end, Kira's like uh, the way Kira is, just like, well, how, fix it. How do we fix yeah. it? What can we do? And he's like, there, there's nothing. You got to let him go. You got to let him die like a man. And mm-hmm. I, as cliche a line as that is, die like a man. It, it coming out of Bashir felt, I don't know, like it was a cool thing for him to say. Yeah, no, it, he completely sells it. Yeah. There's also there's the, there's a moment in that conversation he has with Wynn where he's like you where he's telling her you need to lie to it. You need to tell him you don't need him anymore. Yeah. And she says, that's not a very Starfleet attitude. And he goes, I'm a doctor before I'm a, before I'm an officer. Right. Which I think says a lot about that character. That again is a moment I think we've had with bones and with Beverly. And I'm guessing we'll also have it with the doctor on Voyager and enterprise. Mm-hmm. Like it's just a, it's a common thing when you're writing a military doctor character, I think. Yeah. But it's, it's this conflict we've seen happen in two other series before that is played in a new way because this character is different. Yeah. And it's nice, it's nice seeing this side of him too. Cause a lot of the time it's, we see the goofy twit side of him. Right. Or he's just so cocky and sure of himself yeah. and arrogant. But again, I think he is all that, but it plays in his defense here because it doesn't occur to him that he can't stand up to this woman. This is just an obstacle to saving his patient. Yeah. It doesn't matter that she's basically the leader of the planet that lives right downstairs yeah that's not his problem no his problem is i'm trying to save this patient and this person keeps making my life difficult and yeah. fucking get out of my way lady and the fact that he spends the episode basically destroying him yeah you know, Bariah, like he just keep like in an effort to keep him on his feet and being or you know and like talking right he basically just tears him apart he rips out half of his brain that is horrible yeah and you know i made a joke about balloon animals but really they do replace all his organs with fake organs Mm -hmm. like wow (laughs) there's a there's a scene where where uh, they're talking about and wind goes well you've already replaced all of his organs with uh with artificial ones couldn't you replace his brain too do you not Uh, realize that the brain is what makes him him that is not my problem child no can't you just saw off his head so I can take advice from his neck? Right, but he can still tell me what to do, right? Yeah, that's that's the, the, that's I, the worst. Ooh. I was so close. Like, if I, I don't think we've put a spotlight on Bashir enough, so that's why I made him yeah. a good thing because I really feel like fantastic writing for the character, fantastic acting too. I think he really mm-hmm. stepped up. Like there was there were some great moments where he could have dropped it and he totally didn't. Mm-hmm. That said, my good thing was almost Kai Win. Just I love her perspective on this oh yeah she does not care about this guy's life she started a job that is hard for her and she wants to finish it and it's not i realize this when he's having the conversation with her it's like it's not that she i mean she could maybe do this herself she could maybe not do this herself but she's not willing to try because it's easier just to just just to ruin this guy yep like he's just he's not important and I don't think that's malice. I don't think I, she wants him to suffer. That's the thing. I don't think so either, but I think it's because she just doesn't care. Right. That's what I'm saying. She just wants what she wants, and it does not occur to her to yeah. take any other uh, possibility into account. And I, I love that about her. Yeah. This is this is why I hate this character so much. Yeah. And, like, this is why there is no other character. Like, I can't think of anyone else in fiction. I'm sure there's some, because I read a lot of fiction. But I can't think of anyone else in fiction that I hate 
as much as I hate this character. When I read the Harry Potter books, which I only finally did a few years ago, uh, mm. Dolores Umbridge came close. Ah, that's a good one, yes. Who is of a very similar type. Yeah. A that was another one. That... condescending woman who is in a position of power to use bureaucracy to make your life miserable. Yeah, that's also that uh, Order of the Phoenix. That's my favorite of the Harry Potter books. Yeah, mine, mine ended up being mine as well, actually. <laughs> because it just, it never gets better for him in that book. Nope. And as we've shown with our preference for Deep Space Nine, that that's the kind of storytelling we yep. prefer. It, it, we both talked about this uh, while we were watching the episodes, that uh, Bashir talks at one point about this being a highly experimental treatment that only works a certain percentage of the time. Mm. And in Next Gen, the move would be, uh, he dies, but then we brought him back and everything's fine. And on this yeah. show, experimental means it's probably going to fail. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that we, we're in a situation now where we're not. We can't just assume everything's going to be fine. Yeah, and like while th- Burial, that we don't know he, anymore. You know, while he's not in the main credits, he is a pretty prominent character. He's up there with with Garrick, with Nog, with mm-hmm. like the second tier. You know, extended cast, and it was yeah. kind of a shock that they stuck with killing him. Yeah, I mean, we don't like him, but we are used to him. No, but this this show has a fleshed out extended cast. Yeah, and you don't expect a show to just kill off characters like that. exactly. Or, or Especially least, out of the blue like this. Yeah, at least a show in the 90s. Like, yeah. Like, now it's much more common, I think. But back mm-hmm. then, you know, like, Next Gen killed off an actor because she didn't want to be on the show anymore. But other than that, they just didn't yeah. do that. No. Everyone pretty much stuck around. Yeah, and, you know, if they didn't want to be on the show anymore, sometimes they would kill them, sometimes they would transfer them yeah. off. But, they you know, they wouldn't they, show they, up again. Yeah, or they, yeah, like, uh, Michelle Forbes would get busy and you just wouldn't see Roe for a season. Yeah. Whatever did happen to Dr. Pulaski? Hmm. No, we never we never found out. Nope. Which is strange to me. <laughs> uh, what was your bad thing? Uh, I had a, a tough time. Yeah. Um, mostly because I didn't want to just pick Kai Win again. Because <laughs> I, yeah, I well, worry about that turning into the, the go-to to whatever episode she's in. Also, and also we, because she does a good fucking job. Yeah, we need to once again establish that as a character you love to hate. Not yes. that not that it is a genuine problem you have with the episode. Um, Her the, presence uh, makes the episodes better. The only real bad thing in this episode uh, is actually your bad thing, so I'll get mine out of the way quick. Those fucking red surgical scrubs come <laughs> back in this episode. I hate those things. They are so fucking stupid I looking. I think they're goofy, but I'll give them points for continuity at least. It's like, hey, we're in Deep Space Nine now. You're allowed to, uh, you're allowed to get some new surgical scrubs. You know, maybe ones that look like surgical scrubs and not like a full body condom with the, uh, the top cut out. <laughs> and I, a little ne- flat hat that you stole from Tiny Guinan. They, they never buy <laughs> Tiny Guinan comes with everything. Seen <laughs> here. And that they don't all have Tiny Guinans in their employ. <laughs> Hold me closer, Tiny Guinan. <laughs> Tiny Guinan sketch, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, my bad thing was, okay, I get that the Jake and Nog plot was meant to lighten the heaviness of the main plot, although Ron Moore, who wrote the episode, admitted it wasn't really a good fit. Not really, no. Their sort of lighthearted cultural misunderstanding. I, I, I get where he's coming from. He wanted, mm. to, he wanted to offset the horrible, super heavy seriousness. And, I mean, that's what B-plots, you know, that's one of the things B-plots are for, you know? You can right. sort of get away from... Oh my God! This is never. Nothing is ever going to be better again. Right. And the other writers told him it was a mistake, and he said, "No, no, no." And then he saw the completed episode. He's like, "No, you guys are right." Yeah. I think I think there's a time and a place to do that, and and it didn't really work here. But that yeah. said, I actually didn't hate it. I just thought it maybe fit in like season one. Yeah. 
Like, Nog's horribleness is supposed to be funny, but Nog seems like he's regressing. We've seen him around women, and he's never been this bad. Like, he, he tells... He's laughing and he's like, she's so dumb. She's yeah. perfect. Like, just shut up and cut my food, woman. Yeah. No, there, there, we talked about this, actually. That episode where, um, oh, God, what was it? There was that girl that came on uh, on the station. Yeah, the Bajoran, uh, like, uh, ambassador. Uh, ambassador or, or something. Yeah. Her dad had died and she took over the job. And he was perfectly fine around her. Yeah, he was awkward and shy. Yeah. But he wasn't, you know. Like he wasn't, you know, horrible. A horrible sexist, yeah. Yeah. And he's just, he's full on, like, everything we know the Ferengi are, but we know Quark isn't entirely like that, and we know Nog really isn't either, and yeah. it's weird to suddenly see it. It's, it's like everything, everything the Ferengi are uh, combined with uh, uh, teenage awkwardness. Yeah. No, it, like was, he, it was just terrible. Like, he's not, like, it's, it's, it's almost like he's trying harder to be a Ferengi and failing at it. Well, that kind of might feed into the next episode. That's I, it, it's it's a stretch. The thing is, the next episode, without without getting into that just yet, really goes a long way to, toward fixing this character. Mm. And so it's so weird that this episode, in particular, right before it, he's so wrong. Like I said, it would have fit in season one where yeah. Jake and Nog just met and they're just feeling you know feeling out the cultural differences and all yeah. that. It's weird that it's here three years into their friendship when. They should know what each other are like at this point. Mm. So, I don't know. It's, you know, it's it's disappointing for the character. It is. And it really doesn't fit in this episode. No, it doesn't. But that said, there were some good moments. There was, there's a great bit where um, Cisco's talking to Jake at dinner. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, the Ferengi are like that. And he's like, Dad, you said Ferengi and humans shouldn't be friends. He's like, you know, I did say that. And I was wrong. I, was I like... I was a racist asshole, and I yeah. was wrong. That actually would have been, if this had been my my episode, that would have been my quote. It's a great, it's a great line, and Cisco reads it really well. And it's a it's a nice continuation of what we've seen, where he's yeah. starting to talk to Quark more as a, as a human. Well, not a human, but as but a, as a, like a person, as an equal. Yeah, and also like he's he, we see that he's read the rules of acquisition. He's starting to understand this culture a little better, and yeah, and make allowances for the fact that they're different than his culture, and mm. I like that. Yeah. And it's nice to just have him come out and admit to Jake, look, I that was sort of a knee jerk reaction and I was wrong. That is not a that is not the way we are in the enlightened future. Yeah. We're better than that. And you know, he's also your best friend and he's good for you. Yeah. No, it was it was a very sweet scene and that, that but, like uh, like I say, there were bits of this B story that, that I liked. Yeah. But maybe don't double date anymore. Yeah. Maybe that's a thought. Maybe if you guys want completely different things out of dating, you should you should do that separately. Yeah. But there was, it also went a little broad, a little vaudeville with, like, yeah. Jake's like, I'm going on a date. And Nog's like, great, we're going on a date. Like, ugh, no, I'm going on a date. That's the other thing. They, Jake's been dating for a while now. Yeah. Like, did Nog just tag along for all those dates? Is that why uh, What's-Her-Face fled back to Bajor? <laughs> I'm going to... Because I would, too. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, I'd say she lasted surprisingly long, actually. Yeah, no kidding. Um, that's pretty much all I have to say about the B story, though. We should definitely concentrate more on the... On the good part? On the main thing. Yeah. Um, it just, it was, it was so, like I said, I, I was so invested. I didn't think I would care if, if, if Beryl lived or died. Yeah. But they really got me to care. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, like, you know, 
Now, now that it's here, we can just let it say this. I've known he's... Uh, we've known he's been on the way out for a while. I just wasn't sure when. Well, I knew she wasn't dating him through the entire series. That yeah. I remembered. I didn't remember if they broke up, if he went away, or if he died. I seriously didn't remember what happened. Oh, see, I've been just been waiting for him to die. Ah. I remember Kira being sad about losing somebody, but she has I a mean, few relationships you know, through the yeah. course of the series, and it might have been somebody else I yeah. don't remember. But, like, you know, when it finally got here, I forgot how well it was done. Yeah. You know, like, and the scene when he finally is completely brain dead at the end of the episode. Yeah. Which, by the way, Jesus. Yeah. Well, Oof. like, his his creepiness really worked there. His sort of blank, vacant stare and his monotone. It, yeah. it really fed into the, the you know, the creepiness I, of his situation. That, that read of, like, I can feel you touching me, but there's... Yeah, it's like the memory of a touch. Nothing there. It kind of reminds me, actually, it kind of reminds me of uh, one of Christian Bale's monologues in American Psycho. Oh, nice. Yeah. Very nice. Hang on, I've got to go feed the replicator a dead cat. <laughs> <laughs> I have to return some Hollow Sweet programs. You know, you can just, if you want a dead cat, you can take it out of the replicator. <laughs> I think Quark has the program for that. <laughs> the, uh, the ambassador from Melmax on his way over. Ha! <laughs> ah! Ah, that's his mating call. Yeah. You you can't swing a dead cat without hitting Quark's dead cat program. <laughs> no, the overall though, this was just one of the better character deaths I've seen, period. Oh yeah. Especially like the dude doesn't really have any last lines or anything. It's basically the last scene the last time we see him, he's lying on a table. Oh yeah, Bashir says, uh, Kira, he's got about six hours left and he leaves them alone so she yeah. can have her last moments with yeah. him. And she sort of starts talking to him and, you know, talking about how they, how, you know, she met him and yeah. how he kind of annoyed her the first time they met, which, you know, it's Kira, so that's pretty typical. Well, and it's the, it's the usual, like, they're unconscious, they might not even be able to hear you, but you got to yeah. talk to them anyway kind of thing. But it was just, it was really sad. It was. And, and they, I think they did a good job of not making Kira the main focus, but also realizing toward the end that. Now that his duty is over, her, her you know, the main person this hurts is her. Yeah. That's that the thing. Crazy. I mean, she she also spends a lot of the episodes sort of the loyal by his side, uh, whatever, girlfriend, I guess. But, like, because she gets that, first of all, this is his first duty, and, like, it is it is incredibly important to the future of Bajor. Well, yeah, and we definitely need to talk about that now, I think. Mm -hmm. The fact that a huge uh, 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 advance in the plot, like in the overall meta plot of the whole series, mm -hmm. has just happened in the background of a character-driven episode, that's one of the things this show does great. Yeah. Because a huge development just happened. Bajor and the Cardassians signed a peace treaty. They are yeah. now ready to exchange ambassadors, maybe start trading with each mm -hmm. other, like doing things that normal, maybe not allies, but but equal civilizations do with each other. Yeah. And that's huge in, like, in the tapestry of the show, and they just kind of did it in the background. Yeah, like, Cardassia has basically officially said we're not going to try and take Bajor back anymore. Not only that, they they one of the negotiating points was they would officially apologize. Yeah. Which is, it sounds like not a big deal, but it's a huge deal. Oh, it's absolutely a huge for, deal. For, I mean, the, for the long-term history, like in the history books, for to see that they admitted they were wrong. Yeah. Whereas before, it was always for the good of Bajor. Now it's like, no. no. Yeah, no, we did a... We yeah. were we were wrong. 
long. And for the Bajorans to get back, like any prisoners that the Cardassians still have, like all the all the different points she was hammering out were like important yeah. things. Although uh, we still get the Cardassians. No, you got all the prisoners. There's no one left. And Cisco's in the room, and he's like, "Okay, what about detainees?" And they're like, "Okay, yeah, we got those." <laughs> uh, uh, someone, uh, someone, bring me my thesaurus for a second. Okay, yeah. prisoners, detainees, uh, POWs. Hang on, I can go on. Involuntary residents. <laughs> Let's, uh, how about this? Do you have any Bajorans? <laughs> Go fish. Damn it. <laughs> Son of a bitch. I really thought that would work. It's, it's great. Like, and like I said, it's a huge deal mm-hmm. because the whole central conflict of the show has been Bajor growing up as a culture and becoming its own thing. And yeah. we want them to join the Federation. But on the other hand, this is a thing they've done on their own. And that's kind of cool, too. Yeah, it's really impressive them being able to, uh... Yeah, make sort of peace with their old off. enemies. Yeah. And they didn't need the Federation to step in and help them. They did it on their own, which is well, no, significant, I, I think. The, the fact that Cisco didn't even know these peace talks were happening until, like... Yeah, and they brought him in as a neutral mediator because they needed one. Yeah. But it wasn't like, we want we want Big Brother Starfleet's help to make this happen. No. Bajor negotiated with a huge galactic power on their own, mm-hmm. which is very cool, I think. It's it's very cool. It's awesome for the planet. It's also very impressive for uh, for Win. Yeah, it is. Who uh, I mean, this is your quote, right? Um. Well, my quote was actually um. Yeah, it was Cisco calling her out on yeah. on how big it was. Like, let's play that there. Please, don't take this the wrong way, but I never would have guessed that you would be the one to bring such a bold vision of peace to Bajor. Yep. Like. The fact that, I mean, we, we were talking about this during the episode. It's been, what, about two years since the end of the occupation? No, the maybe? occupation just ended at the end of the series, and we're in mid-season three now, so it's right. been two and a half years. Yeah. But, like, that just happened. Like, people who were shooting Cardassians in the war are now in, like, position positions of power. Yeah. We know when was it, like, like she was in the trenches or something. Mm, I think she mentions that at some point. I don't remember what she was. I don't think she was in the resistance, but I, I don't think... I don't know. I feel like Kira would have more respect for her. There, well, I mean, remember, she had a huge amount of respect when the, the first time she showed up. That's true. I, I honestly don't remember, and I feel like I should, but I also don't want to slow the show down. And yeah, no, I'll, um, I might check into that later, but yeah. I, th- I think she was still in, she was in the Resistance. So reaching out to them like this is a huge deal. Yeah. It's no, basically and, my point here. Yeah, absolutely. And again, important for the show. I know... In the in the overall arcing story of the entire series, that this will affect things that happen later. Yeah. And again, it, the whole episode wasn't about this. The whole episode just happened to have this happen. It's like when we met the Jem'Hadar for the first time on the camping planet. On the camping planet. <laughs> or like when we heard about the Dominion the first time when Quark's going and selling elderberries or whatever the fuck. Yep. It's it's one of the things I love about this show is like that huge stuff almost sneaks up on you well they never lose sight of the big picture like i mean i, I don't i don't never sometimes they do yeah. but for the most part it feels like they have a plan and unlike the cylons they have a plan <laughs> oh they that. didn't have a plan take that ron Moore. no <laughs> did you see that movie the plan it no i skipped it... it by that by that point i was pretty much done with battlestar galactica it made it clear that they had no plan they really didn't have anything new to show me anymore. And the and the thing is here, I think they made up a lot of this as they went, but they left a lot of good seeds to, you know. Yeah, it's like as this stuff went along, they sort of remembered and yeah. used it, which is a really 
good way to do like a serial. A yeah, I mean, show. it's it's best to have a plan from the beginning, but the next mm-hmm. best thing is to constantly leave things to build on. Yeah, and then build on them, and that's what they did, and it's it's, it's nice. It's like well, we mentioned the the peace treaty, so I mean, let's use that. What does that mean for Bejar? What does that mean right. for the show? And there's a huge development in season five or six. I think it's I think it's the season cliffhanger between five and six, where Bejar's uh, peace treaty with Cardassia is a huge thing mm-hmm. that that uh, you know drives the plot. Yeah, which is cool. But you know, we'll 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 get there soon enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I actually plotted out. Uh, I have this uh, Google Doc that I keep, you know, our schedule in, like what episodes and what guests and when we're recording and all that. And I did right. to the end of the year, and I realized we'll be up to like trials and tribulations by the end of this year. Like we're almost through DS Nine. Ooh, we'll we'll be finished with DS Nine. I think by this time next year. Oh my god. Yeah. Whew. I'm pretty sure we start Voyager next summer. Oh man. So enjoy it while you got it. I'm sad. Uh, any, anything else? No, nothing else. <laughs> nothing Not anymore. Else ever. <laughs> All right, let's push forward then to the episode Heart of Stone, which keeps putting that goddamn Rolling Stones song in my head. See, I don't know that Rolling Stones, so I just change it to Heart of Glass. Ah, very well. All right, so Odo and Kira are on their way back from some sort of space dinner when they encounter a Maquis ship. Now, knowing how interesting the Maquis always are, they give chase to some sort of moon where Kira gets her boots stuck in some kind of chocolate frosting. <laughs> In a dark reflection of something out of one of Counselor Troy's greatest nightmares, it proceeds to slowly devour her. Back on DS9, Nog meets up with Sisko and requests permission to join Starfleet. Suspecting some sort of caper, swindle, or possible bamboozlement, Sisko sends Nog to clean the spare room to see if he's Starfleet janitor material, and to see if anything goes missing. Nog Nog tidies up with flying collars, but Sisko's still hesitant. What the hell does a Ferengi want to do in Starfleet? You know we don't have any money, right? But Nog has a perfectly logical reason, something we can all agree on. He doesn't want to end up the same screw-up as his dad is. Welcome to Starfleet, Nog. Hope you survive the experience. Back on the moon, Kira can't believe she's still being eaten. Having tried everything possible to defeat the stupidest death imaginable, Odo gives up and finally tells Kira that he loves her. When she responds that she loves him too, he realizes that something's probably a little off. For who could ever learn to truly love a beast? Odo pulls a phaser on Kira and she turns into a pile of goo, revealing herself to be the female changeling. She lured the real Kira and Odo to the moon, stashed Kira in a closet when the lights were out, and then pulled the old switcheroo. Female changeling escapes, Ben Odo finds the real Kira, and they head back to DS9. Odo is very sad. Two questions. Yes. Caper, swindle, or bamboozlement sounds like uh, uh, season one data. That's, yeah, I, thought that's it, I thought it sounded like the world's worst law office. <laughs> also that. <laughs> and would it be the stupidest death, or is getting flung against a rock by Armus still the stupidest That's death? bad, but I mean, this rock was really dumb looking. It wasn't a rock. Yes, it was. No, it was it was a it wasn't a rock. It was some styrofoam. Yeah. It's, it's interesting if you read on Memory Alpha, like several of the production people, the people who actually you know use the effect, said this rock looked terrible. And then the guy who made the prop said, "Yeah, they didn't shoot my prop right." I love how much buck passing there was. Like so much yep. Kai win. <laughs> well, this, this this obviously wasn't my fault, child. Well, they clearly they clearly clearly the prophets wanted them to film the the rock in a way I hadn't intended, child. <laughs> And the thing is, I Shut actually, up, lady. I, I noticed some of the directing because I didn't know, I didn't recognize the director's name. And I usually, when I see a new director, I kind of try to keep an eye open for 
if they have any style stuff. Right. And this director actually did some really cool camera stuff. Like there's a scene where Nog's talking to uh, O'Brien, who's up on the the platform in ops. Mm-hmm. And they shoot it from Nog's eye view where you're looking up at Chief O'Brien and Nog's only three apples high to begin with. <laughs> and you're looking up at Chief O'Brien who's like 50 feet up in the air. And it's, it's this great little bit. And like, Hello down there. Yeah. And you could tell Nog's intimidated and he's trying not to act intimidated. And it's 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 a nice little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some stuff in the caves where the cave set is obviously small and they do some nice fluid camera movements following the characters to make it look like things are moving and everything's yeah. a little bigger than it actually is, and it's, there's some good directing. So no, yeah. I don't think, I don't think it's the directing's fault. I think it was just a shitty prop. Yeah. No, Amanda was uh, actually mentioned how good this cave looked for a pretty standard Star Trek cave. Yeah. Well, your your bad thing was basically this rock, right? I fucking hated this rock. Okay, I got <laughs> I got a couple of problems with this fucking rock. Okay. All right. First of all, it looks like shit. Yeah, it does. And I'm not being, I'm not using that as a curse word. It literally looks like she's being encased in uh, hardened poo. <laughs> it's not, it's bad. It's just terrible. And it gets worse as the episode goes on. As they're having these important dramatic moments and Kira can't put her fucking arms down and there's this big fucking turd just encircling her and Odo's sort of whispering to her and she's got her choked voice going on. It's, it, it takes a lot out of the scene. I, it didn't bother me that much, but I see your point. It just, like, the, there's a, there's important stuff going on with Odo in this one, you know? Yes. And this stupid rock fucking ruins it. Yeah. I hate this rock, Al! I, I, I hate it so much! I, I believe you mentioned that, sir. This rock killed my parents. Well, you don't want to be a, 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 a rock-murdered screw-up like your parents. <laughs> you said a couple of things bothered you. What else? Uh, I mean, that was... Basically, it's how bad it looked. Mm. And the fact that... The fact that the, the, the deadly danger in this episode is a rock eating Kira's foot. See, that didn't bother me. I actually like... Sometimes when you go to an alien planet and there's some weird shit that can, you know, fuck you up, that's something simple. It's like what you were talking about in the last episode where stuff sometimes just happens to your spaceship. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's not a big, epic, important thing. Sometimes it's a it's a fracture in your hull or a... Or a crystal that grows around your body. It's just... Okay, one, it that's not actually what ended up happening. No. And two, it looked bad. But in theory, this wouldn't have bothered me. Like, it, it's just a, you know, a weird alien thing on, a, on an alien planet that we wouldn't have on Earth. And I kind of like that. It's just, I, it bugged the hell out. Well, clearly. Yeah, obviously. But also, I mean, it, also, it makes the, epi- the episode title really stupid. Oh, God. Heart of Stone. Uh, well, boot of stone, anyway. Yeah. Ugh. Although I will say, every time you said, why don't you just take your foot out of your boot? And Odo says, why don't you just take your foot out of your boot? Why don't you just beam her out? Well, let's try to beam you out. Like, the, Didn't the work. Episode, the episode was right there with you. Yep. Trying to I, solve the problem. It definitely uh, it definitely looked at the problem and said, this is a stupid problem. Well, they, they hung a lantern on a few things like they that. They did. There's actually they, a bit where Odo says, well, we've been in worse situations. And Kira's like, what? Have I, we? I, I don't know. I, I've been reading these shitty novels that Chief O'Brien <laughs> likes, and they say that. It's a nice way for them to write a cliche line and then call it out for being a cliche line. Yeah. I kind of like that. There's also, I actually like, there's a there's a scene from, from Kira where she starts just laughing, and Oda's like, what are you laughing at? And she's like, well, this is stupid. Yep. I'm although, stuck in a rock. Although it turns out to be, you know, fake Kira. Yeah, so not actually Kira. 
Attack to the Female Changeling. Yeah. Which... This is my bad thing. Yeah, let's, uh, I, let's talk about I liked about this. seeing the Female Changeling again. Oh, yeah. And without spoiling too much to come, I think it's not really a spoiler to say she is a major villain in the series. And going further than that, she might be my favorite villain of all of Star Trek. Mm. Or at least the Changelings as a whole are my favorite, like, antagonists in, in all of Star Trek. I just, mm. they're, I love them. They, they have a great motive. They're still evil. They're really alien and weird. And I just, I like them. Um, mm-hmm. But the whole, it was a test thing. Again, first of all, again. Yeah. But second, it didn't make sense. If they wanted to sever Odo's link to the Salas, which is what they said, mm-hmm. why not just murder Kira? Yeah, like... It was all super elaborate for no very good it reason. It doesn't... And it, they don't really give a reason No, they why... said we wanted to see. Like, we thought the reason that you wanted to stay was Kira, and now mm-hmm. we know. Yeah. I... If you killed her, really, then, if that theory holds up, there's nothing keeping him on DS9. He would come back to you. Like, it Maybe. just makes good sense... To, uh, it just makes good sense to kill her and, you know, yeah, get that out of the way. One would think. But no, instead they just shove her in a closet. Yep. Turn the lights out. Yeah, and, and why didn't they kill her to do this plan? Yeah! It didn't... It didn't there's really no sense. there's no reason to keep her alive, other than that she's a main character and they can't kill her off. Right, and we knew she wouldn't die. Well, yeah. I honestly, I didn't remember that it was the female changeling. Like, that was a surprise to me. But... I did notice that Kira, everything that happened to Kira happened off camera, and that seemed suspicious to me. Yep. I knew something was up. Mm-hmm. And, and it wasn't the big surprise at the end. Like, well, they could have handled it better. There's also quite a bit of, there's a lot of uh, uh, sort of out of character. Out of character. Wow, that character? wasn't even intentional. Oh, wow. Terrible. Out of ki- There's a lot of out of character stuff from her. From her. Well, she cries. Yeah, and I look. I'm not gonna say Kira's not a crier. Her uh, her boyfriend just died. Yeah, and she was laughing like we saw real Kira in the in the uh, runabout with Odo. Yeah, and she was laughing. Yeah, no, she does like she's not she's not a public emotion. No, even person. Odo, who she's pretty close with. Yeah, like she's not in love with him as we discover here, but she is. Yeah. You know, she does consider him a close friend. Yeah. I don't, I don't know, maybe in her dying moments, maybe, but... I mean, towards the end of the episode, I could see it, but she starts really early. Yeah, and it just, it seems very out of character. Oh my god, I can't, I can't believe I did, I can't even take credit for it. Uh, like, I'll, I'll take credit for a shitty portmanteau, but that just sure. slipped out. No, that was, that was terrible. Oh, man. Yeah. I just, I, I, first of all, we've said this since the original series, it was all a test, is done. Mm-hmm. It's not interesting anymore. It's no, not a surprise I, it was done, it was done back it, on, uh, on the on original, original series. Yeah. yeah. The, the first couple of times was kind of cool. And after like the fifth time, it was like, all right, that's enough. Yeah. And Next Gen did it too much. DS9's done it too much. On the other hand, it is in character for the Changelings because they did this before. Well, and they are, they're fascinated by Odo, too. Like. Yeah, Odo. And specifically, now they're kind of looking at the Alpha Quadrant, wondering what's up. Mm-hmm. And he's sort of their eyes into that. Yeah. So it helps them understand the, the solids better, too. Yeah. So it, it fits the show's conception of the changelings, but it's still like uh, it was. A, I think the thing is, you could have done this plot without presenting it to the audience. Like suddenly the twist in the last act is it was all a test. Mm-hmm. That's the part that we're annoyed with. Yeah. If all these events happened the same way they happened, only we knew about it, that would have been different. Mm-hmm. Then it wouldn't have been that same. Oh, of course it is. 
like that same sad, yeah, ineffectual reveal. That that kind of bugs me. Well, and it also it bothers me that all of the like there's a ton of character stuff with Karen Odo in this one. Well, Odo bears his soul to her. Oh my god! Right when he when he fought, like I kind of skimmed over it, but it's a huge deal when he finally admits that he loves her. Like yeah. We, they've been building to this for a while now. Yeah, and the interesting thing is the actor actually started it. Yeah, which I love about this show. The fact that they were just like, oh, of course, he's in love with her. That's a great bit of character development. Let's work with that. Yeah. But he, when he finally, he tells her and he just collapses. Yeah. And it's it's like, it's really well done. And then at the end of the episode, when, you know, real Kira's back and they're just sort of chatting and she's like, so what did what did she tell you that, you know, tipped you off. And he just goes, nothing wasn't important. Yeah. He's like, I, I just said something that the real Kara would have reacted to differently is all. It's like, we like, that feels like that really like just pulled him back a lot. Like we talked about how, how much growth he's had. One of the the, things, uh... one of the things he spilled to her while she's Mm. trapped is how much time he's spending with chief O'Brien, reading these books, kayaking with him in the, in the hollow suites. Yeah. Like, he's obviously trying to open up more. Yeah. And I think a lot of that is, like you said, from he came back from visiting his home world, realized his people who he wanted to see all his life are horrible, and realizing these these humans are all he's got. Yeah. And so he's starting to embrace them a little more, I think. Yeah, and I really think this sort of pulled him back from that a little bit. Like, Yeah, he might be a little more I mean, distant. I mean, now who, who do you trust now? Yeah. Which, and there, you know. like, there's also there's that great scene where he talks about the origin of his name. Yeah, that that was almost your quote, except it's like a five minute scene. And That's it really the problem. Slows there were the two. Down there were two it... really great scenes in this episode. I wanted to use as my quote, and they were both yeah. huge monologues. Yeah. Um, but there's this scene where he talks about where his his name came from, and what it is is like it's the Cardassian word for nothing. It was what was written on his beaker when he was back at the at the lab. Right. And he sort of sees it as this as this tag on him that like he carries around. And, like, as he's gotten closer and closer to the DS9 crew, he's, you know, he sees it less as, like, a description of him being separate and an actual, more of an actual name, you know? Like, it's right. it's him beca- it's him sort of becoming, you know, becoming friends with, with, with people. And the fun thing is he says, you know, the others, Cisco, Bashir, even Quark. Even Quark's, Quark Odo? Especially Quark. Yeah, I think we all, we all had that thought, especially yeah. Quark. But especially Bart. <laughs> Stands for the Quark. The. <laughs> Look, I can make a tattoo whoever I want. Look, no changeling that speaks German could be. <laughs> all granted. <laughs> oh, God. But yeah, Odo, Odo spills a lot of, you know, a, lo- a lot of stuff to Kira. Mm-hmm. And it's, it is unfortunate that a lot of that ended up not actually happening. Yeah. It's cool that we, the audience, got to learn things about Odo, but it's unfortunate that Kira did not. No, I mean, when he finally says, I, like, when he finally drops the I love you, I'm like, yes, finally! Finally? It's only been going on, like, a season. Still. There are shows that would drag this on and on for, actually, <laughs> without spoiling anything, this show will continue to drag it on because she doesn't know. Yep. For at least a couple more years that I remember. Yep. Ugh. <sighs> So, yeah. I just, I hate losing all that, you know? Yeah, it is, it is unfortunate. Um, is there anything else to talk about? Because we have that other plot that I really want to get Yeah, I want to get, get to the, I want to get to the Nog stuff. But I want to make sure we've, we've really discussed all the, all, all the right, Kira Oda stuff. All right, let's make sure we, I hit, like, do we hit no, both of these? 
Like we we talked about all the stuff he said to her and all yeah that. yeah. I, no, I think we pretty much covered it. So yeah, the nog bit. This is actually my good thing. Mm-hmm. In one single fantastic scene, which again is about five minutes long, it was too long for you to make your quote. Unfortunately, yeah. that was tough. I was I was close to just taking it and saying to hell with it. It just it slows the flow of the show down. I think when people like have to listen to you know, like here's ten percent of the episode. Yeah, me. no, I, I completely agree. Uh, but in one single scene, the show has completely made me like and respect Nog. Mm-hmm. And given how awful he was the previous episode, he was my bad thing one episode ago. Yep. It, it's weird. And and in a weird backhanded way, they also started making Rom more bearable and sympathetic. Like, uh, Nog has this great speech about how all it is to be a Ferengi, the whole defining characteristic is profit. And I'm just... My dad sucks at it, and I don't think I'm very good at it either, and I don't want to be a failure like he is. He's actually a great engineer, and in another life, he could have, you know, you could have called him friend. (laughs) Like, it's it's this, but it's this super impassioned, like, I don't know, this is is one of those classic character motives that you can completely understand. My dad is a failure, I don't want to be a failure. Yeah. It's like, I get it, yeah. I've seen, I've seen, like, the, the idea of just, I've seen what it's, I've seen all of the mistakes he's made over his life and all of the opportunities he's wasted just to fucking clean up in this piece of shit bar. Yeah. And I don't want to do that. It suddenly makes you see Rom and Nog differently. Yeah. And it suddenly makes you sympathetic, you know, like ma- makes them sympathetic characters. Yeah. It's, I, I love when we can take like the comic relief characters. Yeah. And make them into actual characters. Yeah. Like, and again, given the way Nog acted one episode prior. Yeah. It's like, it's pretty amazing. Like we've talked about this with some of the some of the uh, some of the crappier Quark episodes. Mm. When they, you know, when like just because you're the comic relief doesn't mean you can't also be like a character with real like goals and stuff. And like giving Nog this episode just it really turns him around. Yeah, and it's it's cool. It it makes so much more sense. Him yeah. wanting to be in Starfleet than, you know, Jake, who's the obvious, cho- who or was the obvious choice until yep. he decided against it. Yeah, no, it was it was great. And and unfortunately, I don't remember Nog ever being quite this cool as he is in this particular episode. Yeah, he's, I don't I don't either. I mean, you know. Yeah, but it's still and, and the actor actually said this is like my defining moment. This is my favorite scene to play this mm-hmm. scene with with uh, Avery Brooks. And it's interesting because apparently when they um. When they rehearsed it, uh, it wasn't quite so intense. And then the camera started rolling, and Avery Brooks like grabs him by the shoulders. Yep. Nog, why do you want to join Starfleet? And and uh, apparently, uh, the actor who plays uh, Nog, whose name I can't, I think it's Aaron Eisenberg. Something I think like so. That, yeah. Said, uh, you know, suddenly in the moment, I realized how intense everything was, and I had to step up. Yeah, dude, that's Avery fucking Brooks. Get your shit together. Yeah, I mean, he's a good actor, but he's a very intense actor. Yeah. And. I, he he matched, you know, like, I didn't feel like he was outclassed in that scene. Like, no, he, man, he totally like, stepped up. For a character who's basically been, you know, the other kid. Yep. Like, he brings it in this episode. That, like, yeah. they gave, they give him a, they give him a monologue and he delivers it really, really well. Yep. And it's one of those things this show does great. When you want to focus on, on one of the tertiary characters and flesh them out a little, you know, you can make them great. And that's mm-hmm. what they did. I mean, that's one of the things I love so much about this show. Yeah. Like, it, has, it just has a bigger cast. Like, it has yeah. a bigger core group of people we care about than just seven, mm-hmm. which is nice. Yeah. And, yeah, it just, it there's there's so much greatness there. 
Yeah. And again, it sort of, at the same time, starts to fix Rom. It does. Like, we... Rom's been... Yeah. Rough. Well, that voice doesn't do him any favors. That voice doesn't do him any favors. That howl doesn't do him any favors. No. The fact but... that he's kind of a shit and abusive and just awful. Well, he's not always abusive. Sometimes he's supportive, as as can be seen See, in your quote that ends that's... the episode. So let's let's hit the quote. Yeah. I tell you, I won't stand for it. No nephew of mine is going to disgrace our family name by joining Starfleet. But Uncle Quark, my mind is made up. I forbid it. No, you don't. Rom, stay out of this. I will not. When it comes to the bar, you may be in charge. But when it comes to my son, I make the decisions. Fine. You tell him he can't go. Dog. Good luck. I would be proud to have a son in Starfleet. And, like, it's nice seeing him, A, stick up to Quark. This is the first time that's ever happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay, yes, he's tried to kill him once or twice, but, you <laughs> know, that this is different. Right. And, like, j- j- that last line, I would be proud to have a son in Starfleet, that's, it's just, it's really cool, you know? Yeah. It's just, it's it's nice coming from that character. Who... And, and now having learned what we know about Rom yeah realizing that he's carrying all this failure around yeah and realizing he doesn't want to see his son fuck up either yeah it it adds a whole new layer to their relationship and makes you care about it for the first time yeah which is great really like, enjoy that like it's just nice getting past these stupid like, like yeah one note car- or uh uh, Ferengi characters and getting into like actual characters, you know. Yeah, and again, DS Nine doing the hard job of taking what the, what scraps Next Gen gave us about the Ferengi and turning it into a culture. Yeah, not only that, but turning it into a group of people that don't necessarily want to be part of that culture. Mm-hmm. Like Nog specifically says, being a Ferengi means profit. I don't want to do that. Yeah, I'm no good at it. And part of his monologue was this great bit where he says, um, uh, I've got my father's hands and my uncle's tenacity. Yeah. It's like he recognizes where his skills are and they're not in, you know, chasing money. No. Which is, it's just, it's nice. It's nice that Star Trek is stepping away from the typical defining a character by what culture they are. I think, uh, I believe it's called on uh, TV Tropes or something, The Planet of Hats. (laughs) <laughs> where everyone on the planet is the same. just that same thing. Yeah. Well, we've seen, we've talked about this in Klingon episodes, where in um what was the episode called? The one with Dax and the three classic Klingons. Oh yeah yeah yeah. You know uh, warrior something or other. Yeah, or heart of something. Or heart whatever. of honor. Yeah, whatever. Honor warrior heart. It was called, I believe. Probably yes. Of blood. Of blood. Yeah. Sword. A blood oath is what it was called. Um. But, uh, well, that just makes me think of Blood Pies. There's, there's an episode of Buffy called Blood Ties, but the <laughs> font that they use in the DVD menu made it look like <laughs> Blood Pies. Doesn't sound very good. No, I, why do I want to watch Blood Pies? Anyway, um, no, we talked about this in uh, Blood Oath, where um, they had three Klingon characters who were very different, but also still fit the mold of what a Klingon was. Yeah. And they're doing that here with Ferengi, where they're not defined by... There is one character type on this planet, which mm-hmm. is it's nice. And even Quark, 
Like, even Quark is more into strong women. And well, we see the... him willing to sort of bend the cultural rules. and Yeah. Well, he's always had... He's got that thing where he's... You know, he's always had that thing where, like, Ferengi women need to be put in their place. Yeah. But, but I he goes personally... Women... No. Yeah. He, he goes for women like the uh, Cardassian chick who was in the underground. Mm-hmm. Or Dax. Uh, What's-her-face? Uh, the Klingon chick. Yeah. Grilka. Yeah. Just... It, it's nice. It's yeah. nice seeing, like, nuances in this culture that yeah. was a fucking joke. Like, you know, people are people are different. Yeah. And you can't just put everyone into a group and it's nice to see that, especially after like all these Ferengi episodes that we've seen on like TNG where they're just, you know, crouching laser whip enthusiasts. Yeah. Well, they they did a little on Next Gen when they had oh, one yeah. with the, the Ferengi scientist. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part not really. And yeah. and this show's done a much better job. Between that and Cisco seeing them as a nuanced culture. Yes, that's another important thing. There's a great bit where he's talking to Dax. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about the... the uh, They made Nog inventory some some uh, cargo bay. Yeah. And they're both ashamed to have to ask the question, did he steal anything? But they have to ask the question. And you could tell they're both like, oh, this is racist, isn't mm-hmm. it? But we gotta see. No, he didn't. Good. Okay. It's like, well, he does... He has stolen things, though. Yeah. But it's nice that they both have that moment where they're like, "Yeah, we're better than this." But on the other hand, yeah. <laughs> so that was cool. There I just... is, I like Dax's. There is some expensive stuff in there. Yeah, and it turns out that not not only is not good at inventorying things, he apparently found things that the previous inventory yep. didn't find. Not only do you not steal anything, but there's more stuff than they they thought. Yeah. So you know. It was good, and it's, and a re- it's just it's a really good episode. It also gives us a glimpse into the fact that the kids maybe not that stupid. Yeah, he also might, nice. He might just be bad at school because I don't know Keiko's teaching it. Well, I mean, there's a there's a few things that is going against him when it comes to going to that school. Yeah, I mean he's be he's being taught. I mean the fact that Keiko, hmm? Keiko, the fact that Keiko is in no way a teacher. Well, yeah, and with, the fact that with any a- training in teaching. And the fact that it's, you know, centered around cultures that are completely not like his, namely mm-hmm. human and Bajoran. Yep. And the fact that, you know what, uh, he probably doesn't get to, <laughs> probably doesn't get to go to every class. No, some days, like, Quark probably wouldn't let him out of work. Yeah. So, Like, yeah. Uh, school low priority while working at the bar. Right. Very low priority. Yep. So, I mean, like, yeah. Like, there's no there's no reason he shouldn't, like, sh- be able to, you know, shine at the Academy. Yep. Shine, shine. Shine your love. Shine your love. <laughs> also, sometimes it's good to get out of the house. Yep. Anyway, that's that's all I had. I, I really liked that yeah. plot. Probably more than the main plot, but, uh, you know. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. But mostly because the main plot ended up not happening. Yeah. That's the primary reason. It was all a crazy dream. Dream test. Uh-huh. Our test dream. Which incidentally is my favorite episode of The Sopranos, the test dream. Ah, uh, yes. My documentary. When when Quark's looking at that pool with the ducks in it. Not those fucking human ducks again. Ah, go away. <laughs> Anything else? Uh no. I think uh I think we can close it up for the week very well uh as ever uh www people don't say d- http colon 
slash slash www. World Wide Web. They don't do that anymore. Uh, postatomichorror.com is our website. That's where you can get episodes, and sometimes we write extra stuff there. You can learn about the show, mm-hmm. what have you. Uh, if, uh, it's something I don't mention often. If you're not fond of iTunes, uh, you can subscribe via RSS on our website. That, that It's just an MP3 RSS feed that's that's for people who aren't into the iTunes thing. So, yeah. so that's there if you want to subscribe. Uh, also, we have a Tumblr, postomichorror.tumblr.com. When mm-hmm. we see Star Trek stuff we think is interesting or funny, we, we repost it there. Indeed we do. Uh, oh, write to us, postomichorror at Gmail. Um, we're about halfway through this season. When we get to the end of the season, we will answer your questions. Yes. So if you have any questions, uh, send them in. Or, tell, or, us what, tell us why we're right or wrong about uh, past tense. Well, it's interesting you should say that because as we record this episode, I usually close Twitter and I forgot. Yeah. Uh, another uh, regular guest, Brian Lynch, brother of Flonk, says he also liked past tense. Yep. So now I'm curious, among our regular guests, we got we got six people who, who regularly guest on our show. Mm. I'm, I'm curious. I know Amanda didn't like it. Yep. Fl- Flonk and Brian did. We got to check with Gav and Nathan and Bob mm-hmm. to see what the uh, like. Th- this may divide the guests. This may be like a like some kind of weird war thing or something. Oh, that was a real good podcast group we had there for a while. Oh yeah, well. we, we we whittled it down to the six guys that we're you know closest with who are who are Star Trek fans. And, like, no, have to whittle it down to all the people who agree with us now. Yeah, basically. Because if there's one thing we don't want, it's dissenting opinions. Oh God, no! Can you imagine? Ugh. Because we're Kai Win. <laughs> don't you ever fucking say that to me again <laughs> you bite your fucking tongue ow I bit my tongue how did you do that <laughs> you bite your tongue or I will bite your fucking tongue off I bite, I bite my thumb at you sir <laughs> alright let's get out of here alright see ya folks The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Copyright 2014. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this for fun.